Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey. Welcome to Profit First Nation, the podcast for the top 17% of entrepreneurs with cash in the bank to correlate to their profitability. Profit First Nation is the podcast for intelligent entrepreneurs who have taken ownership of their financials and leverage Profit First as a cash management system to make their businesses permanently profitable. I am Danielle Mulvey, an expert at guiding entrepreneurs on owning their financials in as little as 11 minutes per day and doing Profit First right. If you are a fan of Profit First and its author, Mike Michalowicz, you have found your tribe. We are a nation of successful entrepreneurs driven to be permanently profitable with a grit and a growth mindset that lets no obstacle stand in our way in pursuit of the three Ps, passion, profit, and play. On Profit First Nation, we dive into advanced Profit First strategies and we share the honest and authentic ups and downs of being a business owner. Most episodes of the podcast also feature segments with the world's most prolific author on entrepreneurship, the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Surge, Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, Clockwork, and his newest book, Fix This Next, Mike Michalowicz. On today's episode, we are going to go deep and a little low, but I promise you, we will raise it all back up by the end of this episode by concluding the podcast with a wonderful Profit First Nation inspiration with entrepreneur and author Christelle Stacy, who will share with us her Profit First journey that she started over three years ago. Today, we are going to dispel some myths about entrepreneurship. So let's start off with a segment with Mike. Mike, you are so transparent about your entrepreneurial journey, including being incredibly honest and authentic about when things seemingly crashed and burned for you business-wise. Uh, yeah, it, it was a, uh, now, now I actually know the term for it. It was a traumatic event. I experienced trauma. And um, there's different versions of trauma. So this was not a physical experience, being hurt or something like that. It was, it was not one of those experiences. It was uh, financial trauma. And uh, honestly, I, I didn't even really know that could exist. But trauma is where there is a sudden and significant shift in an identity. What was was normal, all of a sudden is not normal. Uh, what was expected doesn't happen. I, I think that's what it is. And so for me, with that preamble, for me it was I, I had achieved um, a certain expectation for myself when it came to income and success as an entrepreneur because I'd sold these two businesses. Well, I, I started my third company and I was a train wreck. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I evaporated my wealth. I, I remember watching my bank account dwindle. I was logging almost at like this hyper manic level, like like 50 times a day. Like, how's the bank account doing? Is there money in there? And um, hoping that a deposit would come in or something. And and uh, I saw it logically dwindling, but emotionally couldn't accept it. Like, like I, I kept on believing, hoping 
praying that an investor would show up and invest in the business or a big client would appear magically in my business and you know make some money and it didn't happen so finally i had to face the the facts it was uh, february 14th valentine's day that my accountant called and, and suggested i declare personal bankruptcy i never did and i just put, like to put that as a little asterisk i never did because i felt that my uh, creditors were not responsible for my erroneous ways but it did require immediate you know, more than tear off the Band-Aid, tear off, uh, tear off the wound itself, like the skin. Like I, I ripped everything off in one shot. It was painful. We we lost our house. We moved into um, we moved into a new house that friends in our neighborhood basically granted to us. They were moving to Europe and they were seeking to rent it. But when they heard of our situation, said, "Hey, why don't you why don't you just move into our place?" So it was a gracious gift. Um, we lost our possessions like cars and stuff like that and my daughter and you know the story I, I had to tell my daughter she couldn't go to horseback riding lessons she was nine years old at the time and she ran to her bedroom as i was telling her this and i was sobbing everyone was and i uh, she came running back with her piggy bank and she put it down she goes daddy since you can't provide for for us i will um which is interesting because you know my daughter now is she her 22nd birthday is coming up and when i asked her about that moment it was such a a pivotal moment. It was, there was so much awareness for me of how much I failed and how proud I was of her putting her life's savings, she was saving to buy a horse, on the table to save us from me. It was, it was, it was it's the thought that will be with me till the moment I die. And so I asked her, I'm like, that was such a game-changing moment. I'm like, what, what do you remember about it? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. <laughs> like, for her, it was just, her normal being like uh dad needs help i'll help out for me it was the life-changing moment and i've come to realize danielle that many of us are living the myth of entrepreneurship what you see on the cover of the magazines oh, our business is growing and we feel we have to perpetuate this myth of success when there's this internal struggle our bank accounts are dwindling but we're not acknowledging it to ourselves or to anybody and where many of us are on the verge of this collapse in some regard. You know, we, we start a business for two reasons. We start for financial freedom and personal freedom. That's the consistent feedback I get. I started my business because I wanted to make money to, to live the lifestyle that I've defined for myself. And I want to experience life the way I want to. I want to be able to do what I want when I want. And the two reasons that most entrepreneurs start their business is the two things that never happen. We never achieve personal freedom or financial freedom. That is what I call entrepreneurial poverty. This perception of success, of financial success, of personal success, and the reality, the brutality of the exact opposite. Living check to check, not knowing how I'm gonna put food on the table next week or next month, unless I get some big sales in right now. The work your ass off mentality, where it's like, I, you know, I can't go on vacation, my family's going on vacation, but I can't because I got to keep this thing afloat where personal freedom is actually ripped from us. That's entrepreneurial poverty. And once I had my trauma and, and please don't take it that my trauma is to me, it's significant. I realize in the greater scope of the human experience, it is nothing compared to the trauma. So many people have experienced, but for me, at least that was significant because it brought about this realization and I devoted myself. I'm, I'm never, 
going to experience that quote unquote pain again, that that total collapse of responsibility that I define for myself to be a provider. I ripped that away, and I'm not going to allow that to happen to me. I'm not going to allow it to happen to anyone else if I can do anything about it. And that's where I committed to becoming or, or to to being an author, but to eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. And the last little element, it wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, I got this now. I went through depression. I struggled with it for years. Um, I, I, I struggled with this identity shift to myself for a long time. But I continued to reflect back on that moment. That moment was the starting point for me. And uh, I'm forever grateful for it. I, I needed that in the worst way. I don't want it again, by the way. Like once is enough, I hope. But it really changed me. And I'm on this mission. And I, I will not stop. I will not stop. Um, so that's why I'm doing it. Thanks for being real and so incredibly transparent, Mike. These are strange times we are in right now. They are surreal and we lack control. When we are recording this particular episode, it is August 2020, and we continue to be stymied by the COVID pandemic. We are all in this together, and while I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on this episode, I do want you to know that I feel your pain. I feel your waning sense of certainty that things are going to be okay. Sometimes I'm on a high, so busy, working, 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 but sometimes in the stillness of a brief moment, I start to feel anxious. What the heck is going on? Will this end? This is definitely shared trauma for all entrepreneurs right now. Many of you have been forced to cease operations by your state governments. If you do choose to open, you're operating illegally. And some of you maybe have been furloughed by your traditional employer, and so now is the time you are making the leap to becoming a rock star 17 percenter entrepreneur. Wow, these are crazy, and let's be honest, more stressful times. Many of you are experiencing some form of entrepreneurial trauma right now. You are paralyzed. You've been forced to close. You've had to furlough employees. You do not know what next week will mean for your business. At some point, either now or in the future, we will experience more entrepreneurial trauma. Back in 2005, I was experiencing trauma in my entrepreneurial world, and I was pregnant. Again, not to be Debbie Downer, the cash was not coming in to support the business. One of our largest clients was promising to pay their past due invoices, but those promises were lies. I will stop short of talking about this too much because I don't want to get too emotional on you. Back in 2005, I was the poster child for entrepreneurship. I was on the cover of a national publication for entrepreneurs. I was asked to step up to be president of my chapter of what was then YEO when Y stood for young, but now it's just EO. The facade was still holding up, but inside I was freaking out. I went back to eating crap food like when my tax bill forced me to use my spare change bin to buy food. That story is in episode one, our Inception episode. I was eating hot dogs from the Exxon Tiger Mart down the street from the office and hydrating myself or drowning my sorrows 
with 44-ounce Mountain Dew Code Reds. Don't judge. Yes, I was pregnant. Thankfully, I did give birth to a healthy baby boy who today at the age of 13 doesn't appear to suffer any residual effects from his prenatal nutrition. Things were super shitty, but I did not give up. I was honest with myself, my husband, and with all of my mentors. One of the tenets of leadership I've always prescribed to is that all of us are smarter than one of us. All of us are smarter than one of us. I got honest with my mentors by being transparent about the situation. And when I opened up to them, the all of us part of all of us are smarter than one of us started to go into overdrive. Exciting and promising alternatives to the entrepreneurial path I was on started to give me options with my business, opportunities to address and heal the blows I had experienced. By being open and honest with those who cared about me, I was able to release the feelings of helplessness I was feeling, the embarrassment that I was barely hanging on financially. I was mortified that I had gotten myself, my company, my family, and my employees into this real crappy situation. We did great work and over-delivered, and our reward was a few pieces of paper that said these clients owed us money but they were not paying. Thanks to my mentors, we were able to carry on in a different fashion. One of my mentors, who was also a client, facilitated a conversation with his brother, who was president and partner in a healthcare-related company. Long story short, myself, my team, and our maverick ways were absorbed by the healthcare company. The timing on both sides was fortuitous, and I always will be forever grateful to Scott and Jim Soar for their entrepreneurial mentorship. As I say in one of my keynote speeches, being an entrepreneur is like riding a roller coaster. There are ups and downs, there are twists and turns, and sometimes you even go upside down. Yes, pun intended, but you get back to the station for a breather and you ride it again and again and again until you just can't take it anymore. Nothing lasts forever, and that is okay. That is life, and when one chapter closes, a new one opens. Entrepreneurship has countless myths associated with what it means or looks like to be an entrepreneur. In fact, Michael Gerber has a whole series of must-read books about these myths in what he has aptly coined the e-myth. Without belaboring the various myths of entrepreneurship, let's agree to let them go. They are called myths for a reason. They are widely held but false beliefs. Myths are widely held but false beliefs. Stop believing them. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. Saying you're an entrepreneur doesn't mean you have financial freedom and do not have to answer to anyone else because you're the boss. Those are the two biggest myths or lies we tell ourselves as entrepreneurs. What you do matters. If you want financial freedom, then you have to put yourself on a path to permanent profitability. If you want to be permanently profitable, you have to stop operating your business check to check. You just can't say it and hope or wish it magically happens. 
you have to get your butt to the bank and open your accounts so that you can implement Profit First as your cash management system. If you want to be more profitable, you need to decrease expenses and increase your margin on what you sell. In fact, everyone listening right now, raise your prices. Do not lower your prices. Let's out another ridiculous entrepreneurial myth right now as stupid and something the 83% of small businesses who operate check to check do to their detriment. The myth that propagates it is that you need to reduce your prices to sell more. But that, my entrepreneurial friends, is total BS. In our construction supply business, in what we have referred to as Supply Patriot 2.0, we are not only changing how we do business by adding online ordering and online payment via ACH, we are also raising our margin on specific categories significantly by increasing our capabilities and adding some enhanced services to better serve the needs of a particular category of clients. Raising our prices to our clients is justified, and of course, in raising our prices, we raised our margin. We increased our profitability on these sales. Get fired up. It's time for bold moves, my entrepreneurial friend. Don't get sucked into false beliefs, stupid myths, And do not do what the majority of other business owners are doing. Let them lower their prices and put themselves out of business. Let's be logical and rational. If you are not wildly profitable now, how can you lower your prices and reduce your margin? How are you going to cover your expenses with less money? Selling more at reduced prices does not solve your profit problems it actually puts more strain on the business. Most entrepreneurs believe the myth that they need to serve everyone, which adds to the low pricing or reduced pricing conundrum. It's a myth. You should design your product or service to serve everyone because, oh, let's just scratch the surface on the top two reasons why you can't serve everyone. Number one, there are too many people to serve if you want to serve everyone. It is physically impossible to serve everyone. You don't have the capacity. No one does. Number two, it is mentally impossible to serve everyone because everyone has different needs. You would exhaust yourself mentally and emotionally if you tried to be so flexible and oh so accommodating to meet the needs of everyone who may want or need what you have to offer. And while we are here, right here, right now, be real honest with yourself and your business. Do you have all your eggs in one basket? Do you have some depth and variety to your offerings? So if one chicken stops producing, you have other chickens producing eggs in other baskets? When you try to serve everyone from one chicken, are you setting yourself up for success or failure? I'm going to be honest, construction is notorious for having ups in boom times and big downs during recessions. I have spent 41 years by proxy in the construction industry. My dad has had his wood framing business since 1979, and as early as the age of eight, before automatic feeders on copy machines were invented, I was the document feeder and collator of the thick packets of lumberless 
that were written out by hand back in the day. I was the chief alphabetizer getting timesheets in order for the payroll department. I did a lot of filing, a lot of filing. And now, for the past 10 years, my husband and I have been in the construction industry. We are riding our biggest high to date right now. And my dad's company is working on their largest project in over 40 years. We are at the peak. And when you are at the peak, you have to start preparing for the downturn. We have a few ways that we are preparing for the future. By adding more chickens to make sure we are producing eggs in more than one basket. I've talked about how we're implementing online ordering and the ability for our clients to make online ACH payments in what we're calling Supply Patriot 2.0, but we're also working on adding training programs for businesses in the 2 million plus range who are looking for guidance to scale their businesses. Plus, we have other businesses I've talked about in totally other industries. We have one chicken laying eggs in our construction basket, but our hen house actually has several more chickens laying eggs in a variety of other baskets too. Anyone can and should have something percolating or hustling on the side. Mike is not a one-trick pony. He has several businesses and his eggs are not in one basket by any means. My friend, Christelle Stacy, the founder and CEO of Confetti, has a few event planning companies. And obviously, under COVID, her beautifully curated events that her company typically does with gobs of people in attendance are canceled for the foreseeable future. But she is A-OK because she has always been a hustler. She has a hen house of chickens laying eggs in more than one basket. She's gone virtual. She rebranded her annual fall confetti conference to She Summit 2020 and is taking it online and offering it at a great price. She even added a VIP that includes one-to-one coaching after the event. Sorry, friends. The event actually is on August 20th, the date this podcast releases. Additionally, Christelle has written a book, She Minds Her Own Business, and paired it with an amazing companion workbook, Own It, both of which I highly recommend. In fact, I use the workbook to get me to the point of launching this podcast. Christelle has spent the last several years branching out and building a tremendous hen house. Her eggs are not produced by one chicken into a basket. Did I also mention she just also launched the most awesome Amazon storefront? And thank you, Christelle, for the love, because in her favorite book section on her Amazon storefront, she features Profit First, along with Story Brand by Donald Miller. And you know, Donald Miller is going to be one of our amazing speakers at ProfitCon 2020 next month. If you already like two of her recommendations, then to see her other two book recommendations and all of her other fabulously curated finds, you can get to her storefront via her Instagram at Christelle Stacy, which will be in the show notes. But an even better treat for you is welcoming Christelle Stacy to the podcast right now to share her Profit First Nation inspiration and her Profit First journey. Hello, Christelle. Hello, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. 
and I really appreciate you making time. I know this is a super busy week for you. You've got the She Summit and all your other ventures going on. But I'm excited to be here. Tell us how you came across Profit First. Yes, I first came across Profit First. I was working with a business coach. I um, I had two of my businesses kind of up and running, but I wasn't at a point where I was making profit. And I hired a business coach and he he was like, you know what, you really need to start setting aside your profit. I read this book by Mike Michalowicz and it's called Profit First and I think you should read it. And I told him, I don't read books. <laughs> I, I am not a big fan of reading. And so if there's any way that there's an audio, he's like, yeah, we can get you an audio, but you also need to change your mindset on reading books. Like that's something that you you need to do now. Um, and so I was like, okay, all right, fine. I'll do it. You know, I'll, I'll look into it. And so, uh, actually I, I read the book and I was like, okay, I need this. This is something that we need to implement in our business. Uh, and at the time I had, I had always just lived on like a hope and a dream that my bank account would have enough to pay out for my expenses. Right. So it, it turned into like every month, hoping that that it was all going to work out. And by the grace of God, for the first couple of years, it did. Um, but it was once we started to grow that we got stunted by that because it was like, well, we can't worry. We have so much going out. We don't have enough coming in. And why is that? So I really had to sit down and look at my finances. And so how did you implement Profit First in your businesses? Yeah. So it started with um, with looking at, okay, where are we at right now? Where do I want to be? And then looking into, okay, we need to, you know, we need to create all these bank accounts. And at first it felt like kind of a nuisance. Like, why do I need to have so many bank accounts? Why do I have to, um, you know, maybe I can like skip around the rules a little bit to make it easier for myself. And my business coach was like, absolutely not. Like you need to follow exactly what it says. And I was like, okay, all right. So, uh, I had a wonderful assistant who was working on our accounting and she helped me get those set up. And it was literally life-changing for us. Um, and, and business changing because then I knew what was coming in and I knew where, where I needed to allocate each amount and how much I had in that account then. Um, yeah. And I was surprised when you just said that you don't read books because you did change your mindset, right? Because you do read <laughs> books now. I didn't know that about you previously. Yes. So I have dyslexia okay. and um, reading books was it's hard for me. It, it takes me longer to comprehend books, reading them. Um, listening to them is a lot easier. And if I can see a video that like, you know, watch a movie is so much easier for me. Um, but the, you know, the irony is I wrote a book um, now, but I did change my mindset. And I had to say like, even though, you know, that was hard for me in high school, in college, I think it was coming out of, I, I created my first business um, my senior year of college. And I had just come out of reading so many textbooks, reading so much information, like it, I was overloaded on reading. And so it became a thing of like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live through experience. I don't want to li- live through reading about someone else's knowledge. Um, and, and so that, yeah, it was only like that first, you know, couple of years of my entrepreneurial journey that I was like, okay, I need to take a step back. And then I realized like, no, there is so much information, so much knowledge, so much goodness in books. Uh, and so even if I, I like still now I listen to audiobooks um, sometimes, but actually having the chance to like write notes in the books and highlight and underline um, is huge. But I found it overwhelming at the time. Does that make sense? It does. But you know, it's interesting. And, and we're going to kind of uh, go off the beaten path a little yes. bit. But 
I do have to say, is that one reason why you came up with your combination of the book, She Minds Her Own Business, and then what I love and I think is so brilliant, and I think you are a trendsetter, trailblazer, I am going to predict that in the next two years, we are going to see a lot more books coming out with companion workbooks. Yeah, I just thought that was so, so, so brilliant. What made you want to create something like that? Because no one's doing that. I mean, let's be honest, they give you ideas of what you should do at the end of the chapter, but you have a fully complimentary uh, companion workbook to your book. Yes, I am all about taking action. Like, let's take action now, not just think about these ideas. Dreaming is great, but doing is better. And so uh, the workbook was made because I'm like, we need to actually get, you know, entrepreneurs to start doing. It's not just about like understanding these concepts, but you need to do. And so I, if you have the accompanying workbook, you can start to work through it yourself. And once you write down on paper what your goals are, where you want to be, um, what your mission statement is, it, everything gets so much clearer. And so that is part of why I created that because that is the action, the doer side of me that's like, well, reading a book is great, but like doing something about it is where it's at. So, and I have to say, entrepreneurial friends, you should thank Christelle Stacy for this podcast because actually, when I read your book and used the companion workbook, thankfully, I got an advanced copy during the editing process. Um, but I went through actually like getting this podcast together. I mean, this was a goal, and, I love um, and that. using using your your workbook helped really me get this all out of my head onto paper make it a plan and make it actionable. So, um, I mean, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of your book and your workbook. So. Yes. Thank you. And I'm so glad you took action and you did it. And here we are. Yes. Amazing. I love it. Yes. So let's, let's get back on the profit first uh, path. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. No, yes. that's cool. So you, you mentioned that at first it was kind of like ridiculous to open up all the bank accounts, but you found your assistant to help you with that. And so you sounds like that ended up being just easy to get over. Mm-hmm. What else did you find to be challenging in implementing profit first? Well, for me, I had gone through an experience with taxes that was rough. And so I, I knew that putting taxes aside was essential. Like we had, that was like the number one thing that I felt like, okay, this is going to be so helpful. And why I didn't do that from the beginning, I am not sure. <laughs> um, that should have been like 101 um, business 101, but it was not. I went to college, I got a degree in communications, and that wasn't discussed. Um, and I, I feel like putting aside that money, it, it was hard to not have the large pot of like, once it's broken up, it feels like, okay, I only have a little bit. Whereas it, when it's all together, it feels like, oh, I have a ton in my account. That's fine. But that's the danger of it, right? So um, that's what I found to be it was it was hard in that sense. But it was also so good for me to be able to break that up and see. And I knew that, um, taxes, like I saw that some people had, or I've seen that some people have had a hard time with breaking up their taxes into a certain group or like not touching that account. Um, but for me, I knew the importance of it because I had had an experience with that, um, where I needed that separate account. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I think that's very common. You know, we treat our business like it's a business, the size of our sales, but you know, once you take out everything that is not yours, sales tax or taxes owed uh, to the government, mm-hmm. um, 
money you owe contractors and vendors and such, um, you know, then that gets you what, what, what's really left um, in your business. So, right. And the very little margin of profit that before you, like you thought, oh, I, I'm making profit. But when you actually break it down and then you break things apart, you're like, I don't have anything left to put into profit. And so you have to change that. So what ways are you going to implement? Like what things are you going to implement to make that happen so that you make sure that you have a profit in your business? Exactly. I think it's huge. So how did you feel before you implemented Profit First? Like, can you conjure up what those feelings were like? Yeah, beforehand, I mean, I was living on a hope and a dream. I was um, hoping every month that we would have enough money to pay out what we needed to. I was struggling to see like, okay, wh- why can't we? Or why is it tight right now? Um, and, and it was frustrating. So, yeah. And how do you feel now that you've implemented Profit First and have been using it as your cash management system across all your ventures for now, I think over three years? Yeah, the difference is tremendous because I know exactly where our money is going. I know exactly how much we have for operations. I know exactly what we have for profit. Once I broke it down to profit also, I was able to um, bring someone on as a profit share partner because I knew how much profit we were bringing in. Before that, I would have never been able to implement that because I didn't know what what my profit was or what that looked like. Um, I I have been able to pay my taxes and no problem and um, be able to, you know, look at things from a larger perspective instead of just hoping and wishing that it's going to work out. I now know that this is going to happen. It's going to work. Awesome. And your profit Mm -hmm. share partner, that's not an equity owner. You're just sharing a a percentage of the profits from the profit account. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. For as long as she works with us and our team, um, we're sharing the the profit account. But if she decides to step away, she doesn't have any equity in the company. It's just the profit. That's a perfect way to structure this. Great. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us and sharing your story, Christelle. Tell everyone what would be the best way if they want to get in touch with you or follow you. Definitely. On Instagram, I'm at Christelle Stacy, K-R-Y-S-T-E-L, Stacy, S-T-A-C-E-Y. And you can also find me at sheminesherownbusiness.com. And uh, we also will have all this in the show notes as well. Thank you again for joining us and being a Profit First Nation inspiration. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. That is a pretty fabulous bow to put on today's episode. Thank you again, Christelle. As we say goodbye, this is your final chance to register for ProfitCon 2020. Just Google ProfitCon 2020 to get to the registration page. And a reminder, just to be clear, ProfitCon is for bookkeepers, accountants, and coaches, focusing on your practices and how to better serve your clients. ProfitCon is not a profit-first, how-to-do-it educational event. Remember, we do also have a website, ProfitFirstNation.com is where we have our show notes and transcriptions from every episode, as well as a contact page where you can connect with us. Send us your questions. In fact, on our next episode, we'll be answering your questions. So send them in via the website today. Cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friends. 
Nonprofit First Nation's website, social media accounts, and related podcasts are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. 